0: audio podcast network what's up history peeps it is another episode of Wining about History, the women's history podcast where two longtime best friends drink wine and chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of i'm emily i'm kelly and thank you so much for joining us again and you know so i listened to a bunch of other podcasts and none of them like do intros like we do. Like a lot of the ones, it's just like, "Hey, how you doing?" Or "Hey, like, it's
1: another episode." Yeah.
0: Or like, or or they just like launch. They've right into been whatever having a conversation, and you fade in halfway through with yeah. no context. And I'm yeah. like, "Are we trying too hard?" But it's just—it's nice to have a I concrete like place yeah. to, to start.
1: For we me. had we had one where we started like our we there was no intro because we were laughing because you said family. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, no, that was because we were singing. We were. God, what were we singing? I don't know. We were doing like a parody of a song and that came up a little later. Anyway, we have fun. Yes. All right. Well, Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing super well. And I actually have something that I'm very excited to share with you. And I have not shared this with Kelly yet. I did not get engaged. First <laughs> of all.
1: So upon this recording, I was be like, uh, are you engaged? Yeah. No. Are you pregnant? No. Oh, I'm pretty oh, sure that thought. wouldn't be good news.
0: <laughs> no, that would not be on the podcast. Um, no, so uh, yesterday was Valentine's Day mm-hmm. uh, as of this recording. Which is why she had to preface
1: out. it with, I'm not engaged. Because you're giving me
0: that look. <laughs> I know, I'm like. Well, and when you got engaged, you called me on the phone and I was like, We don't talk on the phone. And you're like, Emily, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, Haha, are you engaged? And you're like, Yeah. And I was like,
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a thing.
0: So, um,. As you know, my boyfriend, Jared, he is a disabled veteran. Mm-hmm. And he has been at 70% disability for quite a while. And he's been fighting to get it bumped up to 100%. And
1: you finally found out yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, what a great Valentine's gift the, from the government.
0: Right. I mean, fucking finally. <laughs> but no, I mean, he's been fighting for this for like almost like 10 years now. Oh, yeah. Like eight, absolute like, ages. Yeah, it's
1: ridiculous. And
0: it's... So he, you know, he gets an increase in his disability and that kind of thing, but it's also just emotionally satisfying because we've been working for this for so long. There's been so many shitty appointments at the Veterans Service Office of getting bad news and having doctors tell him denied.
1: It's basically almost like they're saying, "Hey, uh, your issues aren't enough."
0: Yeah, you're not fucked up enough. I know that you really struggle, and you kind of right. wish you were dead, and you can't work because you have panic attacks. But fuck you. Yeah, yeah I mean,
1: it's just terrible.
0: Yeah, and I mean, he's had he's had you know medical officials at the VA just kind of be like, "Well, I don't know, is it really that Ugh. bad? Like just that belittling this shit." Gross. So I mean, there's the validation of that. So so um. I got home on my break yesterday and he told me. But he told me with the straightest fucking face. So I thought it was bad news. Yeah, he thought it was
1: going like, to be like, oh, we got denied again.
0: Right. Well, because the VSO had called me earlier in the week because they had my number on file. I was like, OK, I probably can't ask this. But is this about, like, you can't tell me, but is this about his disability? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, it's either really good news or really bad news. And the nice thing, too, is, If they had denied the appeal this time, we could have appealed again. But then it's like, okay, now we have to get a lawyer. And it's like a five year process. And actually, a friend just told me about a story. There was a World War II vet who had just gotten in like the past year or something his 100% disability. Yeah. But seven years after he had already died. So his wife got like back pay. But I was like, I'm sorry. What? Fuck you. But yeah, no, it was I cried and I bit like called my parents. Like Aww, and I was, that was really big news. I was really excited to tell you. But like it's I mean, this is what veterans go through when they when they suffer from their service, whether it be physical or mental. And it's such a fight and you just have to keep fighting because they want you to stop. They want to say no and then you get frustrated and stop fighting for it. You got to yeah, keep asking. Terrible. You got to keep fighting for it. And we've had so much support from the Veteran Service Office. They've been wonderful. And all of the officers there are veterans. It's a prerequisite to be a veteran service officer. So they know. They get it. They've yeah, been that's, through the that's process. Really nice, They've been through the process on both sides, so I actually need to send his uh, his VSO a, a thank you email because she's always been very nice and she's a doll and I love her. But yeah, Aww. I was I'm I'm so excited. He's going to be more financially stable, you know, happier cuz we good we're,
1: things all around. We
0: don't have to fight for it anymore. It's done. We're done. <laughs> so I was really excited to share that with you and our listeners.
1: Yeah. I'm, no, I know they're super so invested cool. in my
0: life. So <laughs> like I think
1: that's really nice neat.
0: And it was like a nice, yeah, it was a nice Valentine's Day thing. So actually last night, um, we bought we bought fifty dollar beer. It's like four beers, but it's, it's it takes like I don't know, it's like a hundred and twenty hour brew or some shit wow. like that. Yeah. And so Jared's been wanting to try it for a really long time. But just kind of like you don't drop it's 10 bucks a bottle. You don't drop that on no. a whim. And so we went over to his buddy's place, and they had you know cigars and drank the beers. And I had a taste, and I thought it was gross because I don't like beer. Actually, it's an IPA, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm not a beer gal.
0: I am learning to like sours because we've got a bunch of breweries that popped up in town now. And I'm like, well, I need to find something to drink at all of them. Cause I go there with friends, and I can't. I'm not just going to drink soda. You're funny. I totally could, and that well, would be fine. Water, but um, people look at me weird, like, "Why are you at a brewery?" Hey, you know what? Brewery water is delicious. It is. Okay, there's just something special about it. And you know what? You should do. You should just tell them. Oh no, this is vodka. Yeah, right. what, are
1: you, what are you fucking pussy about? drinking
0: right. your beer like a bitch? <laughs>
1: Oh god, that'd be so funny! Like, sorry, it's your your beer is too weak for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, if god. I don't
0: fall on my ass, I didn't drink enough. There <laughs> okay. You go. All right. Uh, so enough of my good news. What wine are we drinking today?
1: That's what I've been doing over here, and why my responses are slightly delayed, which you might not notice by the time Emily edits this.
0: I was going to say, um, I make this sound so natural. We don't even actually record together. I say my half of the conversation, and then Kelly listens to that and records her responses. Yep. And then I just splice it all together. Be, We've never be actually We've been never in met. the same room. We've no. never met. No, this we is all. We say we're best
1: friends. It's all, it's all show.
0: You know. It, It's all Hollywood. Hollywood is a lie, you know? Sorry, I'm sniffly today. That's okay. I'm starting to come down with shit, and so I'm, like, chugging this water over here. (laughs) We
1: both have wine and water.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Because it's called balance, you guys. Right.
1: We're being responsible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's like for for every shot of whiskey you take, you drink a beer to, like, wash that shit down. Or a sour or a cider or whatever you're into.
1: So what we're drinking today is... Icona by Astoria. It's a Cabernet Sauve. Um, I'm still having problems finding anything about it, like what the tasting notes are. But uh, the food pairing is beef, pasta, lamb, and game. So like deer.
0: Oh, I thought it was just like board games. Yep. Like this this tastes really good when you're playing board games. Yeah. yeah. House on the Hill. Super
1: wasted. It's fine. Here we go. Okay. It says intense bouquet, slightly herbaceous, uh, reminding you of red berry fruits with a full with a body with a round body and a harmonious velvety mouthfeel mm, doesn't I, actually say mouthfeel it says velvety on palate but i changed it to eat i mouthfeel. feel like that
0: should be my tinder profile a round body and a velvety mouthfeel right.
1: so there we go <laughs> that's that's our wine
0: all right i'm i'm excited we haven't had a cab in a while either a while or ever i'm pretty sure we've had one in the well, past i know we
1: had a white cab a few weeks ago
0: that's weird they're usually yellow
1: <laughs> or like green have you seen like the green and white ones oh no ew that's so unnatural I know, it's weird. that's not how calves are in the <laughs> wild
0: <But laughs> yes, fucking gmo calves they're usually
1: yellow or red <laughs> all right well what are we cheersing to good news good news Ooh, that was a good clink Ooh, yeah it does have a velvety mouthfeel I like this. See, I'm not a fan of the taste. Like really? the mouthfeel is fantastic. But See, the taste to me is
0: gross. I thought it was going to be a lot more um, acidic. You yeah, know, sometimes we drink those acidic. reds. No, it's really light and I mean, really yeah, it
1: casual have a
0: It's like, hey, I'm a cab. I'm just I'm just hanging out. I'm not trying to prove anything now you want But I'm like just, I can't here. even tell
1: you what flavor here. it reminds me of. Not good. Is what I'm going to go with. Some, some <coughs> oh, A- ASMR wine drinking.
0: Oh, fuck me. I
1: don't know if you guys could
0: hear that. I was being an asshole, and I, like, swished, swished the, the wine, wine in the mouth in my mic, <laughs> and then I choked on it. Oh. Yeah, it's super muted taste, but that's what I like about it. Hmm. Second sip was better. Yeah. Here, wait. Wait. You got you got to gargle that shit. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, that that unleashes the flavor. Oh, it's like those it's like aerators. It in your yeah, glass. it's like those aerators you get to stick in your wine to make it breathe. That's funny. <laughs> oh no, I like this. I would drink this again. Let okay. me see. What's the ball look like? It's very pretty. Yeah, I know you've been wanting to drink this for a while. Yeah,
1: because it's pretty. So
0: it's definitely not my olive date wine. No, which I'm still trying to unload on. So- <laughs> On someone.
1: I might actually just leave it here, and our friend Drew would probably yeah, drink that's it. that's fine. Because he's kind of... He's actually almost out of wine, so he'd probably be happy with that. Desperate times call for desperate wines. Mainly because Justin made him take home um, any of like the screw top bottles, because Justin's like, we have too much wine on our counter.
0: Ugh, we're not always in a position to so finish we, it. So we
1: had three screw tops that were like... And they're all like three-fourths gone. Yeah. There's like, there's like the, like the one, one glass. glass. And so Drew usually goes through him when he's over here, which is two to three times a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that kid is never in his fucking no, house. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, What's he
0: running from? Dishes. Yeah, yeah, dishes. This is why I'm running the, from la- today. The lawn in the summer, anyway. <laughs> oh, fuck.
1: I'm always running from dishes and laundry. Um, But so we had like three screw top <laughs> bottles and then three corked bottles. So Justin was like... Take the screw tops home, so he took the two screw tops home. But now he's down to literally just our last wine from last week. So he's like, Kelly, I need more wine. Yeah, otherwise I'm gonna gonna have to bring the other ones back. And I was like, Drew, we're recording two episodes tomorrow. It's fine.
0: Yeah. No, I will. uh, I will leave that wine here because someone needs to drink it. Someone needs to the
1: the Greek Church. Be
0: more worthy than I am.
1: (laughs) If it's anyone, it's Drew.
0: Oh my God, that kid. He drinks
1: he's anything. such a cool he will drink casual... or eat anything yeah he's so
0: laid back he's just like okay yeah i'm j- i'm just gonna drink this it's fine you put a glass in my
1: hand we're good right that's all i need yeah it's interesting
0: all right so, who are you talking about today i am not talking about one person i am talking about many people many
1: yes. many peoples
0: i am talking about the leesburg Oh, fuck. No. (laughs) The Leesburg Stockade Girls.
1: Okay. I actually have no idea what you're talking about, so I'm
0: excited. I uh, stumbled upon this. So special shout out to StoryCorps, who interviewed some of the Leesburg Stockade Girls for a podcast episode. And it was really great to get to hear what like them describing what they went through and you know the events I'm about to talk about and so I basically read through the transcript of that podcast episode and took a ton of info because I was like who's better to tell me about this than the people who were there right so hello but yeah if you don't know about StoryCorps check it out because they do interviews from people all over America Hmm. and they animate some of the interviews. And 90% of the time, they're emotionally devastating, but they're real good. Right.
1: I know we need to start branching out outside of America again. Whenever we do like topic months, I've noticed we kind of like stick to the US. This is true, although... So for, we tend to for Pride Month. Yeah, we went all Some all of over. the some
0: of the the trans people we talked about were from Europe and yep.
1: or went to Europe and then came back. Yeah, there's a lot. But I just noticed. It. So I definitely know my last two people for Black History Month are U.S. citizens. Mine are too. You know, yeah. I just <laughs> got sick of trying to pronounce shit that I couldn't pronounce. <laughs>
0: Wow, this person seems to have an amazing story. What's their name? Whoa, that's super French. <laughs> going back. There's so many consonants. It's so much French. What are these accent marks? I don't, I don't know. even know.
1: Uh, the song Guillotine popped up on my uh, <laughs> playlist today. And every time I hear that, like I really like that song. But every time I see like the name pop up, I always think about us in our love-hate relationship with the french
0: language yes oh it's a beautiful language which we cannot speak no not at
1: all except for like the word guillotine that's about it yeah i got that one yeah
0: i figured out a de gouge yeah i figured that one out all right um let me just dive on into this do it so when we think of the civil rights movement of the 60s we tend to think of adult leaders like martin luther king jr and rosa parks However, children played a big part in fighting racial injustice too. And actually, I wrote this story months ago, so but I waiting. saved it. You've yeah, but waiting. I saved it. And so a lot of that kind of thing ties into when yeah. I talked about Claudette Colvin and yep. how it's like, yeah, women because and you didn't mention that. Yeah,
1: I know my the person that I'm covering today has been like on my list like from the beginning, and I don't know why I didn't. No, I know I didn't cover her last year because we started in March. Yep. But I don't know why I haven't covered her like in the year, you know, we've been doing this. So I'm excited. You know, there's some podcasts I even listened to where
0: I was like, man, I can't believe it took them two years to get to this story. But it's there's so many, you know. Well,
1: like that's weird. Who is now done? Um, their second to last episode was on like cults and they covered like Jonestown and one other one and they were like how have we not covered this yet?
0: You know some some podcasts they stay away from the really big stories because it's like oh, God like we talked about this in circles everyone's done it you know right. let's get let's get a little broader I mean that's our whole shtick we're not going to cover Amelia Earhart on this episode right. you guys or on this show.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'll Super I, not I, on this
0: episode no. celebrating Black History Month.
1: Um, I think if we have recover popular people it'll probably be like a patreon like deep dive where we try and go beyond what you know of them right well and here's here's the other thing they're probably never gonna be featured on like a regular episode unless it's like oh the person I'm actually talking about was friends with this other person yeah now that being said Speaking of our Patreon, if you
0: donate enough money, you can request a story that we do. And yeah, if we you want anything. Amelia Earhart, like, man, show us that money and we will do whatever the do fuck, Amelia fuck you Earhart. want. As long as they're not a dude, we good. Anyway, right. um, so a perfect example of activism and sacrifices of young people are the Leesburg Stockade Girls, which I'm now realizing is a hard word to say. Yeah. Leesburg Stockade. Stockade
1: Girls. So There's like a weird Lee, thing. like Lee, like L-E-E-S-Burg. B-U-R-G. Yeah, Stockade okay. Girls. Stockade Girls.
0: So in July of 1963, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, partnered with the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, NAACP. I yep. feel like I shouldn't have to say that, but
1: we have international listeners. And right. Everyone and that's knows why what I the did it NAACP my is. last episode. I, was, I said it. Yeah. And then I was like, NAACP. And then I never appeal. mentioned it again. Yep. So I'm like, I probably didn't need to say the acronym. (laughs) Um, So these two organizations teamed up to
0: protest, uh, to organize a protest march in Americus, Georgia, to protest segregation. The march would start a, start at Friendship Baptist Church and end at a segregated movie theater. As part mm. of the protest, a group of girls attempted to purchase tickets at the front entrance of the segregated movie theater rather than the back alley entrance, which was, you know, for black people because segregation was all about white people use this and black people use that. And whatever black people use has to be worse and yeah, shittier, like the shitty
1: version, because
0: they thought society thought of them as lesser and it was awful. Yeah. Uh, so so they're like, no, we're going to buy our tickets at the front. And that's a part of the protest. The police attacked and arrested the girls for this and imprisoned them in the Leesburg Stockade. So the Leesburg Stockade was a Civil War era structure located in the so back like of
1: Leesburg, Georgia. Yeah. OK, because when I think but of stockade, I think of like a stockade where your head and your hands are like... In a stockade? Oh no,
0: no! It it, it was a building from just the Civil called War. the stockade. Okay. yeah, because you know a bunch of children trying to buy movie tickets It's just terrible. And is they how you to get arrested. arrested for it? Yeah. So anyway, the Leesburg stockade was just as pleasant as it sounds. The rundown building was made up of concrete floors, barred windows, and one broken toilet. Oh, that's fun. It was like, like, it's almost shittier to have a broken toilet than no toilet because it's like teasing you. Like, I'm a toilet, but fuck you. (laughs) There was no furniture or running water, just concrete on all sides. The girls were fed, but very little, and the food was shit.
1: Okay. So the stocks is what I was thinking. Oh, okay. Also known as a pilery, which is, yeah, the. That thing where you put your head and your hands in. Um, a stockade is just uh, a barrier formed from up- upright wooden posts or stakes, especially as a defense. So they, yeah, it was just okay. So yeah, my bad. I had to like look it up. I'm like, is that not right? Is that not what a stockade is? No, that's See, a I would think stock. a
0: stockade is like a bunch of stocks all lined <laughs> right? up. Like we no. need a special name. We can't just say stocks. No. It has to be special. And you think you
1: know corn, corn yeah. stocks. But so. Spelled differently, so they're
0: not even sent to like a real jail. Hmm. They're sent to this abandoned Confederate Is it, like, Civil War era, actually
1: abandoned. There's like it's not like in use.
0: I don't think so because it's just it's just like a bit. It's a small concrete building that's with literally just like a holding sign and cell. A broken t- like there's no running water. Like it and it's that's terrible. Gross. So it's just. It's the segregated, and it's it's jail. in the backward, back backwards, backwards backwoods of Georgia. So it's in it's in it's in the woods. It's not
1: in a town or a yeah. city. So like, did anyone ever come and like check on them? You know, we'll get into yeah, that. That's what I'm. Because I'm really shit, curious about this. This is. It's like this a weird. Wild. It's like a weird psychological experiment.
0: It's it sounds like that, doesn't? it? It's like okay, well, what if we took a concrete box, dropped it in the woods, and then imprisoned a bunch of yeah, how many? young girls? It was like uh, fifteen girls. Jesus, yeah. And I I'll get into it. So, uh, Carol Barner C was one of the imprisoned girls, uh, and she recalled quote. The place was worse than filthy. People wouldn't put their pets in such condition. It was hot except for the open barred windows. All kinds of insects flew in, cockroaches, mosquitoes, everything. People wouldn't camp in this like kind of environment. Let alone, and they're imprisoned. Yeah. So the 15 girls who were arrested, and I keep saying girls because they're all between 12 and 15 years oh, old. Oh Jesus. Children.
1: Children. <laughs> yeah, now I'm like curious, like how big this s- concrete building was. If there's 15 of them,
0: and it wasn't that big. I mean,
1: maybe the size was, of this room. It
0: may be the size of this room. Maybe a little bigger because there are photos of the stockade and inside of it, but it's it's small. Like all the girls are kind of crammed in together. So, uh. So the girls were never formally charged with anything. No, they, just they kind haven't of actually shoved been shoved them
1: somewhere. Yeah,
0: they they've been arrested but they haven't been charged and they're just being held for you know. The police also didn't notify the girls' parents of what had happened or where they were. So the police kidnapped these children basically. Yeah, basically.
1: Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I know the cops were allowed to just pick kids up off the street and take them somewhere and not tell anyone. I mean, I guess maybe they thought people knew because there were other people at the protest. But I guess maybe the other people at the protest would be like, yeah, they picked up these teenage girls. But they probably just assumed, oh, they brought them home or yeah, whatever. Or
0: they're in jail because at protest people got arrested all the time. So during their imprisonment, the girls were threatened with death by the police, and they even threw in a rattlesnake through the, one of the barred windows. Yeah, I think it may have been dead, but still, it's still I can't—I I can't remember if they—if there is a record of if it was alive or dead. But that's still—I mean, that's horrifying. Yeah. And they're—and they're telling you, you're gonna die here. We're gonna kill
1: you. Like, what? Are they really? That's terrible. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're threatening them with death. So one of the girls, Verna, severely struggled in the stockade. She was growing weaker by the day, and when she would eat, she would immediately throw up. That's not good. Verna would also barely speak and sat in one spot of the stockade
1: most of the time. I'm assuming it's the girl sitting down in this picture that I found. It might be. Uh,
0: The other girls were worried that she was going to die. Yeah. And and despite uh, her desperate situation, Verna didn't complain. She was just kind of like... A little bit coma. She was ill and a little bit was like emotionally comatose, but she didn't complain. She didn't do any of that. And what the girls in Verna didn't know was that Verna was actually pregnant. And that's one of the reasons she was so sick and weak because she's pregnant. Trying to grow a baby. And she's not eating. No. She can't keep food down. She's in horrible conditions. She can't be clean. Like... So to keep their spirits up, the girls did the best to console each other and sang freedom songs. However, the girls desperately missed their families, naturally, because they're children. Uh, Emerine Kiger Streeter said, quote, I missed my mother more than anything. I just miss seeing her face every day. The girls would stay up all night looking out the windows and staring at the door, hoping to see someone coming to their rescue. They had no idea how long they would be there or that their parents didn't even know where they were. So they're in complete limbo. Like, they get, they're get they getting no information. And they're probably thinking at some point, like, you know, they're the like, wheels of justice re- like will turn, will get of out. People. Yeah. They simultaneously exist and don't exist. Yeah. After a month, their parents eventually discovered where they were through rumors. Cops didn't tell them. No one told them. It was just like some rumors started, you know, kind of swirling around, and the parents were like, oh, shit, are our kids
1: in a stockade in the middle of the fucking woods? Right, like, hey, (laughs) I'm sure by that point, obviously, they knew their kids were missing. And then, yeah, they were like, oh, Hey, the people are saying a bunch of girls are in this stockade. Maybe that's my girl. Right. Oh, that's terrible. This sounds like like this is giving me chills. This is giving me chills, but not in a good way. No, it's like the the gross goosebumps.
0: It's it's kind of like if you told me that some guy was keeping a bunch of girls in a in conditions like it was like, "Well, that dude's a serial killer and a psycho." Right. No, this is the police doing yeah, this. So
1: they're psychos.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they attempted to get the girls released but could not afford the bail. Oh, so they finally Jesus they were, they finally Even though they the technically police. never were like charged there's yes. bail? Yes. Yes, because the the cops are In control. They have all the control in this situation. And no one's making them abide by basic human rights. They can do whatever they want. And because black people are seen as not people. So around this time, uh, 21-year-old photographer Danny Lyon, who is working with the SNCC. That's the picture I have pulled up. Learned of where the girls were being held. He sneaked to the stockade and photographed the girls through... And their conditions through the barred windows. The black and white photos are chilling because you can see the bare room, barred windows, and 15 children standing around staring at the photographer. So as Kelly is seeing, some look surprised or shocked while others look amused or relieved by his presence. Like, oh my God, finally Someone's someone here. who's not the cops threatening to kill us is here. Other girls are clinging to the barred windows looking disoriented. Yeah. The SNCC published the photos in their newspapers, and soon other African-American publications picked up the story until it gained
1: national attention. So there's 14 girls, at least that I see in this picture. So 14 or 15. We're going to go with that.
0: We're going to go with 15. That's what I have in my notes. I'm going to rewrite history here because my notes are more important. (laughs) Yeah. So for some weird context of time, the girls were still in prison during the time that Martin Luther King Jr. was giving his I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. And how chilling is that speech knowing he's not just talking about segregation and equal rights? But he but at that time, a bunch of children are imprisoned in the middle of, you know, this shitty cement box in the woods. And he's like. Guys, maybe this isn't cool, okay? Right. Maybe this is, like, the worst humanity can come up with. Come on. Finally, after being in prison for, any guesses?
1: Three months? No, because that was a month. Month and a half? Two?
0: 45 days. Oof. So, yeah, about A a month and a half. Without being charged... Without their parents being notified, without being provided the most basic livable conditions, the girls were released on September fifteenth, nineteen
1: sixty three. Yeah, did they like did the guy that came and took the photographs like help them get out?
0: No, the cops released them. Because there was a there was an uproar and the cops were filing. Because he took these pictures and they circulated. Okay. Yeah. So I mean he did help. He did. But he didn't
1: like He didn't break break the the bars down.
0: I don't know if he could. Like Probably
1: not. By the look of it, probably not.
0: So Carol, one of the survivors who I mentioned before, recalled her return home. Quote, my mom, she heated water on the stove because I hadn't had a bath in two months. And she was bathing me. My mama scrubbed and she scrubbed. Finally, she stopped scrubbing, dried me off, and she put... She put me on some clothes, and my mom put me to bed like I was a baby. So just that very infantile, like caring for her and like scrubbing away like everything that's just happened. Well, to Well, I'm
1: sure like the mom is also just like you know this is my baby, and it- she was taken from me.
0: How traumatizing is that? As a parent, your kid just disappears for a month; you have no idea where they are. Right. You have no one no else idea seems what to happened. know anything. A bunch of
1: other kids in the community, well, are especially missing. at that time period, where a lot of protests and turn violent and people die. Oh, So, you yeah. know, I bet at least probably half of those parents are like, you know, my kid could be dead somewhere and I wouldn't know. Oh, absolutely.
0: And we still have this issue when uh, women of color go missing. There is less of a national response. Right. And there's less, there it's could like be pro- less of like a police response when sex workers go yeah. missing. Yeah. Yep.
1: And other high risk, like, Even, like, certain teenagers, if they have a history of running away or anything like that, like, they're less looked for, which is bullshit.
0: Well, and it sucks because they're the most vulnerable people. They're the people who are most likely to To fall victims to some kind of violence. Ah, all right. Uh, Shirley Green Reese, another one of the captive girls, recalled returning to her life, quote, my classmates and my teachers never asked me where I was coming from. I felt like I didn't fit in. So, so after high school, I left the area and moved forward. So what I did, I got a job in the library and I saw this picture for the first time in my life. I said, this is us. And so she's referring to the pictures that uh, the photographer took. That's crazy. And I felt like it was an embarrassing picture to me. I wasn't going to share, share that with nobody because I didn't want them to know I was in that jail. So she feels shame for this. She right, like, feels I was one of those responsibility yeah. and shame. And that's that's very common for people who have been victimized. They feel like it's their fault, which is so sinister. Many of the girls didn't talk about their experiences in the stockade, just in general. So after her release, Verna, uh, who I mentioned, she the was the one, one who didn't know that she was, was that's pregnant. That's what I was going to
1: ask, like what happened.
0: So Verna, who didn't know she was pregnant, gave birth to a boy, Joseph. Aww. She was later interviewed by Joseph for StoryCorps uh, when he w- So it was his, her son that did the interviewing? I think he did part of it. That's so, so cool. So the whole podcast episode interviewed many of the survivors. But, but he I think Joseph his, specifically, his mom? Yeah. Um, when he asked about how she felt when first arriving at the stockade, Verna said, quote, I was scared and mad that they could treat a human being like they treated us. We both could have died in there. We both could have died which is so none of the girls died everyone survives this but they all could have straight up died right well and it's
1: traumatizing like you're never gonna live the same after that yeah it
0: doesn't matter that you know everyone survived that's still a horrifying experience and you don't know what's gonna happen right are they gonna come in and just blow you all away is what is
1: someone gonna come in there and assault you or is it just like they're going to leave one day and just and never come fucking back. come back. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, they're, they're on like that's starvation rations. That's what I, I would have
1: assumed, is that, yeah. that one day they're going to like feed us, and that's going to be it. And, and we're they're never going to see them up. again.
0: And they're already on starvation rations. Like, they couldn't have lived that way much longer, I would well, think. Well, no, especially not Verna. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, poor Verna. <laughs> that poor girl. So, it would be understandable for the girls to be resentful and hateful of the officers who put them through hell. Instead, they hope the officers are able to let love into their hearts.
1: Right. Like, it's like, obviously, you're very hateful people if you are okay doing this to girls between the age of 12 and 15. Yeah.
0: And I. I understand that this was an acceptable way to think and view black people. This is not this is not an excuse. I'm but this not is just like... above and beyond that. So I hope that they were able to change their thinking in that. Right. And just because you, if you've done damage, you can't undo that damage, but you can do less damage moving forward. And yeah, I, I agree. I hope that they just became better people and got it figured out and didn't hurt anyone else. Right. Um. When asked what she would say to the men who locked her up, Emerine said, quote, I think what I would say is, sir, I feel sorry for you because they were not looking at us as children. They were not looking in their hearts. All they were looking at looking at, was the act that we were black. Oh, the fact that we were black. That's a shh. Well, that typo kind of tanked that powerful quote. But yeah, all that they were acknowledging was, these people are black i don't care that they're children i don't care that they're girls i don't care about anything but they're black yeah, so they're gonna treat them color. like oh, shit. that's terrible so stockade girl uh diane bowen said quote i hope god touches their heart the minds of the people that still feel like we are less and we're equal so basically it's like i hope they fucking wake up right So uh, their experiences in the Leesburg Stockade have followed the women for their entire lives and will continue to do so. Legacy. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is a bummer fucking story. (laughs) As I said at the beginning of the story, when we think of civil rights activism of the 60s, we often forget about the impact youth had. They were active in marches, demonstrations, and pushing the movement forward from the front lines. In fact, their active participation helped to bolster the cause. As the nation watched children being attacked with high-pressure hoses and police dogs, they began to understand the true brutality of the situation and sympathized with the desegregation activists. Whereas, like... Because even if you could passively be like, well, I mean, segregation's not that bad. But whoa, what the fuck are you doing to these kids? That kid right. has, a, has a dog attached to their leg. What is happening? That's not okay. Who's yeah. the real monster here? It's easy for us to look back at what the Leesburg Stockade girls went through and recognize the gross miscarriages of justice and the flagrant human rights violations. However... It's important for us to continue to tell this story and others like it in order to recognize it in modern contexts because this kind of thing can still happen, and it does. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, this whole story almost sounds made up. It's not, but it's so outrageous, and it's so enraging. <laughs> like, But it happened, and this kind of shit still goes down as long as there are people that we kind of give the go-ahead to treat like shit or treat as lesser this behavior will continue. These atrocities will continue. So yeah, that's the Leesburg Stockade girls. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I um. So when we decided to do Black History Month, I didn't want all of my stories to be centered around fighting oppression or being oppressed or like the civil rights. So I was like, well, I'll do two civil rights stories because I had one and I really wanted to do Claudette Colvin. But then I'm like, I want to make sure my my last two ladies or my other two ladies are just like. Hey, here's a black woman who was fucking awesome and she killed it. And we can't get away from the racism because that's unfortunately just such a big part of these stories. Right. But I promise my next lady is
1: amazing and that story is going to be a lot more fun. There's not a ton. (laughs) Like, I mean, there's racism in my story, but there's not. It's not the center focus.
0: Which is nice because the other thing is. It's important for us to understand the systemic racism in our society and how it's so pervasive. But at the same time, like, black excellence is a thing. Like, black people succeed and they're killing it and they're doing so well. And they're so much more than victims of our culture. Right. But at the same time, for us to ignore that is irresponsible. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a fine line. It is. The, the, the world weird. is compl- It's a weird thing. complicated. I mean, it's like, as we're, us being women, oh, yeah. you know, we're more than women who are victimized or have been catcalled. Like, we're killing it. We Back have a in, podcast. We have a podcast. We've arrived. Woo!
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Please share with me okay. your lady. So, I'm going to cover Sarah Breedlove, a.k.a. Madam C.J. Walker.
0: Ah! You're covering some big names. <laughs> you did Shirley I'm Chisholm trying. and now
1: C.J. Walker. Yeah. Damn. I know and I'm her, excited her, her she was born Sarah Breedlove which is still a pretty badass name Breedlove is a bitchin name I know um, oh my god <laughs> yeah, right? So she was born on December 23rd 1867 so basically you know Christmas baby she was born on a cotton plantation near Delta Louisiana her parents Owen and Minerva were recently freed slaves and Sarah who is the fifth of six children was the first in her fo- family to be born free
0: Was she born in a manger by by chance? No. I'm working in. I'm gonna work in some serious like Christ (laughs) analogies (laughs) into this. Nice, because she's born to her parents are recently freed slaves, but I'm sure they don't have a lot of money. She's born right around Christmas. Like I'm gonna force this,
1: right? She's a Christ figure now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Minerva, her mother, uh, died in 1874, so just um, seven years after she was born. Ugh. Sad. Um, likely from cholera. A lot of sources just said mis- like a mysterious illness, but um, uh, the cholera e- epidemic was traveling up rivers at this time, particularly the Mississippi River, and it did reach Tennessee and those areas around 1873. So there's a good chance she died of cholera,
0: right? Just statistically, it was probably cholera, right?
1: Her father did remarry, but he died within a year, um, leaving Jesus. yeah. Leaving Sarah an orphan at the age of seven. Oh my god. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um Mary stuck around the whole time for Jesus. <laughs> she was ascended into heaven. What's this bullshit? After her parents' passing, she was sent to live with her sister Lou Luvina Luvi- Luvenia. Louvinia. I'm gonna go Luvenia because it's V-I-N-I-A. I'm Just gonna call her Lou. Lou. Little Lou. There, sister, sister Lou and brother in law Jesse Powell. They moved to Vicksburg, Mississippi, and Sarah started working as a as as a child as a domestic servant, so she you know went to work right away, yeah, you know. Because I right? trust an eight-year-old to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, I had little or no opportunity when I started out in life, having been been left an orphan and being without mother and father since I was seven years of age, she often recounted. She also recounted that she had only three months of formal education, which she learned during Sunday school literacy lessons at the church she attended during her earlier years.
0: That's great that... Um- She's she is getting some she education, in reading. yeah. But yeah. I, I
1: think it was before her parents died. So like once she moved in with Lou and her husband, like that was kind of it because she was working. I'm gonna so I'm gonna ditch
0: the Christ figure metaphor and I'm moving into Disney princess territory. Okay. Yeah, we're
1: okay. I'm okay with that
0: because she's an orphan and she's a child working real hard yeah. to just get like by. Cinderella,
1: she's got some squirrels helping her clean the house. Like she's got this. Oh, yeah. Um, At age 14, to escape both her oppressive working environment and the frequent mistreatment she endured at the hands of Jesse, her brother-in-law,
0: Sarah married a
1: man named Moses McWilliams. Wait, how old was she? 14. No! Yep. And on June 6, 1985, so she would be... mm, I feel like we should have special music for when we're
0: trying to When we're trying to math. Yeah. yeah. Where it's just like... Um, computer sounds from the matrix
1: she would have been 15 so oh.
0: so on, and, June, and she's on June 6, in 1985
1: sarah gave birth to her daughter alayla which is a beautiful name That is a lovely name um moses died two years later and sarah who was 20 and alayla who was two moved to st louis where sarah's brothers so remember she was of six so she 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 went with her sister it was terrible now she's going yeah. to her brothers um, who had established themselves as barbers in the area okay yep there sarah found work as a washerwoman, earning about a dollar fifty a day but she was determined to make enough money to provide her daughter with a formal education and she did she it was enough to send her daughter to the city's public schools holy shit so she's like no you're gonna you know have a better upbringing than i did yeah which is great um during the 1880s um, so during this time, she lived in the community where ragtime music was developing, and she sang a lot at the St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. Take she, a breath. <laughs> yeah. And started to yearn for an education, an ed- educated life as she watched the community of women at her church. So at this time, she also started attending public night school whenever she could. Aww. She also, during this time, she met um, Jay Walker. Um who worked in advertising and would later help her in her life. So just to note, this is the time she met him. Yeah, just stick him away in your vault, your brain vault your brain vault. moment. So during the 1890s, Sarah developed a scalp disorder that caused her to lose much of her hair. Oh. Her work as a laundress likely contributed to this problem because it exposed her to, you know, like lye and dirt and steam, and that's just not good for you. Yeah. Um, and she was far from the only black woman to experience hair loss during this time. Um, as many families lived without indoor plumbing, shampooing regularly wasn't really a thing Mm because it wasn't really possible. There was a lot of lice and pollutants and, you know, it wasn't a great time for African Americans. And their hair. Right. And they, a lot of them also had (laughs) inadequate nutrition. So it made, you know, keep maintaining your hair healthily nearly impossible
0: yeah and they can't just go to the drugstore and get those sweet sweet prenatal vitamins right, exactly. <laughs> when you're trying to grow your hair out from an asymmetrical pixie cut for your friend's wedding um, after you died it purple. If, you know <laughs> if you don't
1: want to do prenatals there's also a one called biotin that is for like the same thing basically okay
0: I okay. Here's the weird thing. When I took so when I was growing my hair out for your wedding, I I took prenatals. Yeah,
1: in case you were wondering, the friend she's referring to is me.
0: (laughs) No, I've totally never been there. That's not my life. But no, I. I had this like weird superstitious thought like, God, what if this makes me pregnant? <laughs> like I was not in a sexual relationship for any period when I was that's on fine. those, but I was still
1: like, what I, I feel like I'm tempting fate here. Yeah, right? Like right. Like, what chem fate, first? Fate's going to be like, well, you're already on the vitamins. Yeah, Might like, as well just give you the baby. Your, your womb is just it's ripe and immac- ready. Immaculate <laughs> conception due to prenatals. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's funny. In addition, many products that were used by black women of the time um and had a lot of like ox marrow in it. Yeah, that was apparently a big thing back then. Okay. And that was not good for your hair and scalp. But people were you Yeah, because that's what was available. Okay. You know, some women wore, wore head wraps to hide their bald head, but um Sarah didn't like that idea because she she wanted to not be viewed as a lower status. And she felt like the head wraps kind of signify you're a lower status. It's kind of like working in the fields, protecting your head from the sun,
0: head wrap. Yeah, Yeah. type of thing. Or because, you know, you
1: don't have the proper stuff to care for your hair. So you're just hiding it. Um, So, yeah, she wanted to elevate herself. Plus, you know... I think everyone wants a healthy head of hair. Yeah. When my hair sucks, I'm crabby. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, when I'm having a bad hair day and I have to put my hair up, especially if it's for multiple days in a row, I get angry. I literally only have, besides this weekend, I had my hair up every single day this week, except for Friday at work, and I was so mad. Oh, my God. I was like- because every day, even when I showered, I was like, my hair looks like shit. Yeah.
0: And, like, when I was recovering from my hip surgeries, I couldn't shower regularly. I remember that. So I was, like, living on dry shampoo. I don't understand why people use that. It didn't make my hair look or feel any better. It makes your hair, like, crunchy. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, I hated it. And I was like, I hate my hair, and I feel greasy and gross. Everything sucks, and I can't walk, and I can't bend over. So yeah. Kelly helped me shower I did. many times. I, I
1: wrapped her very nicely so that she could not get her stuff wet. Yeah,
0: Kelly... Uh, Wrap me in saran
1: wrap so yeah, I would get my stitches wet. Fun you know, I, I bet Luckily, we could. I, you know, I was, had a, if I had to do that for my surgery, I was going to make you come over and help me, but oh, I yeah. didn't have to.
0: <laughs> you know, I bet that we could totally turn that scenario into like the weirdest porno mm-hmm. film.
1: Someone's got that It wouldn't that even be that war- like weird.
0: Yeah. There's like saran wrapping fetishes.
1: Oh, 100%. Girl There's like on balloon girl. popping fetishes. Yeah. So, girl you know. on
0: girl, saran wrap, medical condition, crutches. I mean, we got all yeah. the makings for yeah. a sweet fetish. It'll be vid. great. It'll be great. We'll
1: make so much money. Donate to our Patreon <laughs> if you want to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So... Instead of using what was out there or the head wrap, she decided to try and find a cure for hair loss. So she was still living in St. Louis when she began this journey Um, and her brothers worked as barbers. So obviously she went to them and was trying like kind of asking them, you know, for ideas. However, you know, they didn't back then barbershops were for men. Yeah. So they didn't work on women's hair, you know. And so they didn't know much about women's hair or scalp diseases because men didn't suffer from the same things because obviously they had different jobs. Boo. Um, So she started trying out, like, a lot of home remedies and, you know, asked a lot of the other washer women she worked with, like, hey, what's worked for you? What have you tried? So a lot of products that she would buy, though there were, you know, few at the time, especially tailored toward, like, Black women's hair, which is, right. you know, te- tends to be curled and textured and, you know, like I'm sure most products in those days were tailored toward white women. Uh, they kind of still are. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, But there was a line called Annie Turn- Turnbow's Poro line, which was, Turnbow was a black woman, so okay. it was specifically made for black women because she, she had arrived the year before the World's Fair and then use the World's Fair to promote her products. OK. So around that time, Sarah began to use the products, like the Great Wonderful Hair Grower. That's literally what, the, what it was called. Because you could just throw that stuff out there back in the day. And people didn't mind yeah, a word exactly. label. <laughs> um, so Sarah began you know, using it. And it definitely, her scalp benefited from it. And so she ended up becoming like a sales representative. Represent- representative representative yep. sales rep yeah whatever sr sr um syrup S- <laughs> syrup 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 um and so in in 1905 she actually headed to denver to sell the products so she moved to denver now um but also continued to pursue like what she could do or improve upon you know like this wasn't the answer, but it was a good start. Yeah, it was a good start. Okay. Um, at the time, she also became when she moved to Denver. She became cook for a pharmacist named Edmund L. Schultz, um, who many speculate maybe helped her with the chemistry of what is to become okay. her line of products because okay. she creates hair products. Which I'm is that where you knew. this story is
0: going? I thought she was gonna like ride a horse
1: across yeah, America. You know, she's, like, she's like Lady Godiva. Just, yeah, just riding she, into town naked she was
0: super pissed off about hair she's like i'm just gonna let
1: it all go <laughs> um so in 1906 she married charles joseph walker so the guy she met you know the guy i told you to keep in your brain vault take him out put him on the table <laughs> Put him on the table put a back. ring on him <laughs> so you know like she's moved once since she you know but he's still there so he obviously must have moved with her He's a good guy yeah hopefully yeah <laughs> um so at this time she also began to call herself madam cj walker oh what a queen um, it's been attributed to both of them like there were some that said that she started the name there were some that said not that he called her that but he suggested like hey you should go by this because it sounds better so yeah that's what she went by madam cj walker
0: Man, what a badass which is fucking his, which name. Which
1: is his initials. Yeah. But I suppose when you're, you're calling, you're, yeah, I guess, whatever. You know, she, she's just stuck with, like, Madam Love. I like that. Oh, But fuck. Madam C.J. Walker is still badass. That is. Um, so by this time, she had actually started developing her own formula to heal scalps and spur hair growth. She stopped working for Turnbow and started the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company and started selling Madam C.J. Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower, does that name sound familiar? Because it does. Okay. Well, no, because the other person's name was uh, the Great Wonderful yeah. Hair Grower. Well, they, that, and this that's how they describe This stuff. one's just the Wonderful Hair. Exactly. There, yeah. It was a lot of... Over advertisement at the time. Yeah, I'm not like, gonna say
0: false, but over advertisement. Everyone seemed to be overcompensating for the fact that no one knew what the fuck was exactly. going on. I'm just gonna put some wine and some cocaine in this and call it the great
1: wonderful tonic of life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should do that. <laughs> Side Shh. venture. So nobody, nobody tell the cops. Uh, <laughs> so that was in 1906 that she started her company and the ingredients in her hair grower. Uh, were precipitated sulfur, copper sulfate, beeswax, petroleum, like petroleum jelly, coconut oil, and violet extract perfume to cover the sulfur smell. This kind of sounds like what we have in shampoos and conditioners today. It is very similar. Especially the coconut oil is very trendy. Yes. Um, Sarah once explained the formula of her hair grower came to her in a dream. Yes. Quote, God answered my prayer, for one night I had a dream, and in that dream, a big black man appeared to me and told me what to mix up for my hair. Some of the remedy was grown in Africa, but I sent for it, mixed it, and put it on my scalp, and in a few weeks, my hair was coming in faster than it had ever fallen out. I tried it on my friends, it helped them, and I made up my mind and would begin to sell it. Can I just say- My southern accent that like crept in during it that was,
0: quote. It was so casual, but it was lovely, and I, I was there. Good. But I also love, here's my thing. Maybe she had a dream, but I imagine, first of all, she's going by madam. There's no reason. You know, it's not like she
1: married a count or something. How do you become a madam? Like, I feel like there's some kind of application. See, normally I'm like, when I think of a madam, I think of the lady who runs a brothel. Because that's what they called them was madams. True. But like, I feel like she's
0: very much one of those women who's crafting her legend. Oh, yeah. 100%. And... I'm like, maybe you had a dream, but maybe you're just like, this is gonna sound wild, you guys. I'm gonna sell this, and it's gonna be fantastic. It's a holy it recipe came to
1: me in a dream. I know. However, it is also speculated that she might just have adapted the, her former boss's recipe because it was very similar. The name is similar. You know, they both contained a lot of similar ingredients but I mean it was common in those days because sulfur was used to treat dandruff and other scalp right maladies um, and her former em- employer was aggrieved um, enough to start saying in her advertisements beware of imitations oh no but other than that you know there really wasn't anything she could do um, no one owns sulfur you guys and Elila Bundles not her daughter her great-great-granddaughter oh. um, noted, quote, if you look in medical journals, this mix of petroleum and sulfur has been around for a 100 years. Neither of these women created this. Like, neither of them invented this. Yeah. So really, it's fine. But Madam CJ took
0: largely an existing formula and improved upon it yeah that's that's what's guessed
1: no one knows but so this is like kind of makes the most sense the iphone 7 versus the iphone
0: 5 it's the same shit but like maybe a little better yeah
1: um so in 1907 uh sarah and her husband traveled around the south and southeast promoting her products and giving lecture demonstrations of the walker method Ooh, what's the walker method it it's how to use her formula for pomade brushing and the use of heated curls or oh. combs combs maybe i need to start
0: doing that like because i'm trying to and grow my hair flat, out. flat
1: flat hair
0: yeah i don't know like maybe, just maybe i just need some scalp massage no, a, a heated some...
1: comb sounds fucking amazing
0: is it like i'm imagining like those combs where they're actually straighteners
1: that's my guess. Is or, I'm guessing... or is it just warm for your comfort? I don't know. I didn't like say. I'm, gu- I'm guessing it's probably similar to a straightener because okay. that was, you know, unfortunately, this is during the era when, you know, you you don't want your hair to be different. You wanted to look as much like a white person oh, as you could. Yeah. You don't have
0: an afro. You don't
1: have your like, you know. natural So I'm locks. guessing it's probably what they call the straightener. Okay. So along with her hair grower uh madam cj walker also er, her early products also included glossine which was a pressing oil don't ask me what that is i assume something for straightening your hair because that's what it sounds like to me
0: it, it's an oil that that has some very important
1: immediate news which is pressing yeah, <laughs> <it's> pressing <laughs> whispers things in your ear oh my god um she also had a vegetable shampoo which sounds okay. nice okay um, she urged clients to shampoo more often and to follow her walker system of using the hair gr- grower, oil, and hot combs to produce healthier hair. However, though, she popularized hot combs that straightened hair. There we go. We figured it out. right? We're Sa- historians now. <laughs> Sarah's goal wasn't to alter the appearance of black woman's hair. Quote, let me correct the erroneous impression held by some that I claim to straighten hair. I deplore such an impression because I have always held myself out as a hair culturist. I grow hair. The Walker product line grew to include creams and soaps, but Sarah always stayed focused on the health of her client's hair and helping women take pride in themselves and their appearance.
0: Oh, because that's what it's about. It's about being comfortable in your own skin exactly. and with your own hair. Did you ever see that uh, short that won the Oscar? No. Hair. Although when
1: I was researching Madam C.J. Walker, it popped up a few times.
0: It's so good. My friend and I went to see Angry Birds 2 because we have no self-respect. And that's the short that played before that movie. That movie did not deserve to be preceded by that beautiful short. I was crying. It was so good. That's... We'll have to watch it after this. We'll find it on YouTube or something. Yeah.
1: One of one of my favorite quotes that I saw from Madam C.J. Walker was, quote, I want the great masses of my people to take a greater pride in their personal appearance and to give their hair proper attention, end quote.
0: Well, and that's such a luxury thing, too, because it, when she's born, um, her parents are newly freed right? slaves. Like, so she was slavery's the the first, thing. She
1: was the first friend reborn of her family and she was their fifth child
0: but for so long it was just getting by there's no dressing up there's no taking care of your hair you're there to work and to survive right if you can you know there's no pampering women no- women
1: had bigger issues like being sexually assaulted by the plantation owner you know Ugh. than to deal with showering and proper hair care. Exactly.
0: And so this is this is a step in like reclaiming your humanity. Yeah, it's great.
1: We can look good, you guys. Fuck everyone else. <laughs> right, exactly. As profits continued to grow in 1908, Sarah opened a factory and a beauty school in Pittsburgh. And by 1910, um when she transferred her business operations to Indianapolis, Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company had become wildly successful with profits that were the modern day equivalent of several million dollars.
0: Jeez. Yeah. And this is a woman who didn't know how to read, came yeah. from nothing. Very rudimentary. Worked her ass off to even send her daughter to a public school because right. she had to
1: pay for Apparently, that. Apparently. What? And you know, and then took night classes. It doesn't yeah. even say that she ever like got a degree or anything. Yeah. Um, so in Indianapolis, the company not only manufactured cosmetics, but also trained sales beauticians. These, quote, we can do sexy finger quote, why not? Ooh, sexy finger Walker quotes. agents Ooh. became well known throughout the black communities of the United States. In turn, they promoted Walker's philosophy philosophy of cleanliness and loveliness as a means of advancing the status of African Americans. I love that. That's so fucking cool. I, I know. I do too. I'm so. That's at- why when I read about her, I was like, this, I'm doing this woman.
0: Like, Sarah, CJ, however you prefer to be addressed, we fucking love we you. We love you. So
1: much. A relentless innovator, Sarah organized clubs and conventions for her representatives, which recognized not only successful sales, but also phil- philanthropic and educational efforts among African Americans. It reminds me of like modern day, like. Mary Kay or pure romance are like yeah. you know so I'm gonna say this is where it started I feel like there are two
0: people Herstery in the world canon. there are two kinds of women in the world there's Mary Kay and then there's pure romance right? you can be both but people tend to lean, lean to one strongly the toward one <laughs> if you don't know pure romance is sex
1: toys And And, I mean, they actually have started, they started selling like beauty products and they actually have like a men's line now. Oh, cool. Like, I mean, they have men's sex toys. I was going to say outside of the pocket pussies. Yes. But they like, they have like men's cologne and like lotions for them. And like, you know, they have the coochie, which is shaving cream for women. And I think they now have a men's version. I don't know what it's called, though.
0: Yeah, we should have another pure romance party. I I need to do some shopping.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we could do like an online one. I'll message her. OK. In 1913, um, Sarah and Charles divorced. Oh. But she kept the name. OK. Obviously. I mean, it's I mean, her by brand. This, by this point, like, she really can't not. Yeah, this is her brand now. Right. It's more than a name. It has evolved. Exactly. It can't be owned by any one person. Yeah. And after they divorced, she traveled throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, promoting Damn. her business and recruiting others to teach her hair care methods which is awesome. God, she's hustling. While she tra- while her mother traveled, Alayla, Al- Alaylia, I don't remember how I decided I, I was think going it was Alayla. It. Yeah. Alayla. So it's A
0: The fact you don't know what that letter is is making no, me No, it's real not real a nervous. letter. It's <laughs> Is it like an apostrophe? It's an apostrophe. Okay. I just couldn't think of the word <laughs> You're apostrophe.
1: Here moving your finger in this like a-postrophe. up and down. And I'm like,
0: what are you doing? So it's
1: a apostrophe L E L I A. So I'm going. I with would A-lay-la. say Alea or Layla. So while her mother traveled, Aleyla helped facilitate the purchase of property in Harlem, New York, recognizing that the area would be an important base for future business operations. Oh hell yeah! So her daughter's definitely like. All up in the business. Good. Um, In 1916, upon... So she left in 1913. So she was gone for three years. Wow. In 1916, when she returned from her travels, Sarah moved into her new townhouse in Harlem and from there would continue to operate her business while leaving the day-to-day operations um, of her factory in Indianapolis to its four lady. Yes. Not foreman. Four lady. Hell yeah! That's, and that's actually what, like... The place I got my notes from called it too, and I was like, Fuck yes. Oh my god. So that's pretty great. They would like our podcast name. Yeah, right. <laughs> um Sarah quickly immersed herself in social and political culture of the Harlem Renaissance, because obviously that was in full swing. Oh yeah. She found Phil God damn it, why is philanthropic or any like you know, subsidiary of that word so hard to pronounce? You
0: nailed it the first time you said it, but then it Philanthropies.
1: It Philanthropies. Philanthropy. It's weird. Philanthropies. Philanthropies. She founded philanthropies that included educational scholarships and donations to homes for the elderly, the NAACP. I don't have to say it because you already did. I got it. And the National Conference on Lynching. Oh, God. That it's, was a thing? A th- I think it's like against lynching. No, no, no. no I understand that. But yes, that. it was called the National Conference on Lynching. Just the
0: fact that like, it's hey, a guys, thing. we need to create an organization to
1: address Murder. lynching. Like yeah. a very specific kind of murder. Right. Fuck. So she she did a bunch of philanthropic things for that among, among other organizations focused on improving the lives of African Americans. As her wealth and notoriety increased, she became more vocal about her views. In 1912, she addressed an annual gathering of the National Negro Business League or the NNBL from the convention floor. Where she declared, quote, I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the South. From there, I was promoted to the wash tub. From there, I was promoted to the cook kitchen. And from there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair goods and preparations. I have built my own factory on my own ground. End quote. I have my hands up in the air. Yeah, I was like, Whoa!
0: I was like, please tell me. Then she promoted herself. Yeah. I was like, I feel She's like that's where so this is going.
1: Great. God, what a badass. So. That first year, she was like an attendee and like spoke up from the floor. The next year, she addressed the convention goers from the podium as its keynote speaker. Oh, yes. Which is great. She helped raise funds to establish a branch of the YMCA in Indianapolis's black community, pledging $1,000 to the building fund. She also contributed to the scholarship funds of the Tuskegee Institute. Other beneficiaries included um, the Flanner House, which I don't know what that is. But it's a place in Indianapolis. Probably helped African-Americans. I assume so. That's kind of her shtick, (laughs) which is a great one. This was the Um, one
0: thing where she's like, you know, ocean research is so important, (laughs) you guys. Save the whales.
1: (laughs) Save the whales. Um, She also donated the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church, Mary McLeod Bethune's Daytona Education Center, Industrial School for Negro Girls, which later became the Bethune-Cookman University. So that's all one name. It's the Mary McLeod's... Mary oh. McLeod Bethune's Daytona Education and Industrial School for Negro Girls. That is the title of this institute. Hold on. We need to take a breath And then here. they shortened it to the Bethune-Cookman University, which is so much better. You can't fit that shit on a sweatshirt. Right? <laughs> the Palmer Memorial Institute in North Carolina and the Haynes Normal and Industrial Institute in Georgia. She also was a big patron of the arts, just as a yeah. side note. She, what I love about her is... so this
0: is truly like a, a pulling yourself up by your bootstraps kind of story like she came and 100% when,
1: giving back to yeah. where you came from and
0: ex- and and it's particularly empowering the black community because she's like yeah like she's like white people don't
1: need my help yeah
0: she's like i i was i was the first child of all of my siblings to be born free and even in that like i wasn't really given a chance my parents died of illness right and then i, I had to bounce really around shitty situation i was seven years old like project managing cleaning a house and like is <laughs> right. so, it's, it's crazy what a crazy upbringing right. she wasn't a yeah, lot right. education 14
1: you were married had a kid You know, lost your husband, so you're back on your own with a two year old daughter. Well, and here's
0: the other thing too is like, there's this whole idea, it's like making things better for future generations. Well, I I grew up this way and I turned out fine or I had to do this. Why shouldn't they? Well, because don't you think every right. future generation
1: should have it better? And that's and exactly what she is. That. She's like she's like I didn't get you know I didn't get an education, so I'm gonna work my ass off and give my daughter one and, and then educate myself. Yeah. when I can, you know. But it was very much like no, my daughter gets an education first, and I'll take night classes if and when I can. Yeah,
0: instead of internalizing that, like internalizing that misery I and got hardship. It. Yeah. It's like, hey, maybe it doesn't have to be this fucking hard, you guys.
1: Right. Exactly. Oh, I love her. In 1913, Walker's daughter, Alayla, moved to a new new townhouse in Harlem and in 1916, Sarah joined her in New York, leaving the day-to-day operation of her. I already talked about that.
0: To the four lady? To the
1: four lady. I, um, were they like Gilmore Girls? That's what I like to Fast talking,
0: mother-daughter duo, killing Cooked it. on coffee. Yes. Um... <laughs>
1: In 1917, Sarah commissioned Ver- Vertner Tandy, the first licensed black architect in New York City and a founding member of Alpha-, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, to design her house in Irvington on Hudson, New York. Sarah intended for the Villa Luaro, which cost $250,000 to build to become a gathering place for community leaders and to inspire other African-Americans to pursue their dreams.
0: Wow. She's she's basically kind of the embodiment of black excellence. It's like, 100%. you guys, we can all be great. Like, don't give up. Right. And pers- she's very persevere. encouraging
1: of other black people that are killing it. Like, yeah. Like, she's like, oh, you're the first black architect. Hey, here's a shit ton of money. Please design this house. We're best friends you know? now. <laughs> so she moved into the house on in May of 1918 and hosted an opening event to honor Emmett Jay Scott, who was at that time the Assistant Secretary of Negro Affairs at the U.S. Department of War. So, you know, he's up there in the government. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So she built this fancy house. They called it a mansion, or they call it a mansion. I would call it a mansion. <laughs> right? During this time, she also became more involved in political matters. I mean, she kind of was before, but now- I was going to say. <laughs> now, I mean, before it was a lot of like funding things, but now she's actually like- Taking more of an activist role. Right. She started delivering lectures on political, economic, and social issues. Um, she started associating with um, and making friends with people like Booker T. Washington, uh, Mary, Mary Bethune, which we already talked about her really long named school, <laughs> W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, during World War One, Sarah was a leader of the Circle of Negro War Relief and advocated for the establishment of a training camp for black army officers. In nineteen seventeen, she joined the executive committee of the New York chapter of the NAACP, um, which organized the silent protest parade on New York City's Fifth Avenue, which was a big thing. It drew that protest or public demonstration is what they like to call it. Okay. Drew more than eight thousand African American protesters, um,
0: Demonstrators, Kelly. To,
1: no, it says to <laughs> protest a riot. Oh, okay. <laughs> in East St. Louis, that killed thirty-nine African Americans. Uh, so you know, it ended, it ended up getting violent. Can which is I? Sad.
0: Can I just throw this out there really quick? If uh, they refer to something in the past as a riot and a Someone bunch died. of. No, it, and a bunch of black people died. It was less of a riot and more of a bunch of white people just murdering black oh, yeah, people was, and people it was, calling it was a, it a of, race it, riot. a bunch
1: of cops being assholes yeah. 90% of the time. Yeah, because there's like the... Um... Don't get me wrong. I love cops. Like, cops are great. Oh, yeah. Okay. But back then, they did not handle things well. Well, here, And I here, think we all can agree on that. Here's the thing. You can... It's important to support
0: law enforcement. They're doing a very dangerous job. And it's a very honorable job. But part of that is holding them accountable for when the people things screw gone. up. And, yeah. to, and to hold them accountable for when they mismanage their power or right. abuse and that, it or whatever. that happened
1: a lot during this era. Well, a lot of it was, was because, law. exactly. And the cities were like, yeah. Like um, when I was looking at the pictures that you were talking about that after the girls got released, there, they, there was that big protest and they like hosed kids down. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they taught their officers and firemen to do that. That, w- that was the acceptable protocol. It was
0: ridiculous. And that's why it's important to continuously examine and be
1: like hey we don't do this anymore this is a thing we don't do. Or
0: and figure out how is it still happening because those kinds of behaviors evolve to get kind of fly under our radar or seem acceptable to our modern
1: sensibilities. The more it happens the more people are like oh this is just what happens.
0: Well and here's the thing if you support law enforcement you need to nail the people who are abusing that power or shouldn't be in that position because they bring everyone down exactly
1: okay next thing <laughs> profits from her business significantly impacted um sarah's contributions to her interests obviously in 1918 the national association of colored women's clubs or the nacwc honored honored sarah for making the largest individual contribution to help preserve frederick douglas's anacostia house nice um, before her death in 1919, Walker also pledged $5,000, or the equivalent of about $72,700 today, jeez, to the NAACP's Anti-Lynching Fund, which we, talk- we-, we talked about the other committee she helped, but she also donated specifically to the NAACP's Anti-Lynching Fund. Because that was a thing that we need to address on multiple oh, yeah. fronts. Um, and at the time that she donated it, that was the largest gift from an individual that the NAACP had ever received. Not Damn. just for that fund, yeah. in general. Sarah also bequeathed nearly $100,000 to orphanages, institutes, and individuals, um, and her will directed two-thirds of her future net profits of her estate to go to charity as well. Even though she hasn't died yet. It's coming up, though. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> um, I just hope death, it's not literally, sad. it's like the next section. Okay. Um, Walker died of hypertension and kidney failure what's hypertension is that something with your heart i believe so I'll, I'll google it quick okay um so hypertension has to do with like high blood pressure okay so it was a combination of kidney failure and high blood pressure which i'm pretty sure high blood pressure can cause kidney failure so and by yeah, you know, vice versa it's kidney failure yeah. stressful and your blood pressure may raise yeah. um <laughs> So on May 25th, 1919, at the age of 51, in her Villa Loero. She was only 51? Yeah, she was pretty young. Ugh. Her daughter, Alelia Walker, became president of the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. And in 1891, or a, 1981, Jesus, the Madam C.J. <laughs> Walker Manufacturing Company ceased operations. But ni- 1981. She died in 1919. Oh, OK. So, like, her daughter kept that shit going. I
0: was going to say, like, why isn't this a company? Because I know there's that, like, Watkins, and I keep yeah, getting right. that mixed up. No. But. Um,
1: however, a line of cosmetics and hair care products bearing the name Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture is available at Sephora. Of course it is. No, they, they actually did it to, like, honor her. No, no, no. no. Oh, OK. I know. You sounded, like, annoyed. I'm like, no, oh. they did it for a good reason. No, no, no. no. I mean, like...
0: I, I would never go into Sephora just because I don't spend money I don't wear makeup often after to buy the Target. It. I'm sorry. But it was it just kinda like seemed like a- If anyone had it, it would yeah, be them. Yeah, yeah. Of course it's fucking Sephora. They've got right. a lot of the gimmicky stuff too.
1: Exactly. So that's cool though. Like good for them. Right. right? So I I'm talked about like two thirds of Sarah's estate. The other one third of her estate was left to her daughter, who did go on to become a well known, um, important part of the Harlem Renaissance in her own right. Yeah. And, like I said, the remainder went to various charities. Um, her funeral took place at her mansion, Villa Luero, and she was buried in the Woodlawn Cemetery in Bronx, New York.
0: Oh, we could probably visit her. That'll yeah,
1: be on our list. So, legacy. Don't you mean legacy? Legacy. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. <laughs> <laughs> was it ever here? <laughs> it was um, like a hot second. <laughs> at the time of her death, Sarah was considered to be the wealthiest African American woman in America. Although she was eulogized as the first female self-made millionaire, her estate was actually only estimated to be worth $600,000. Today, it's about eight hundred million. Or not eight hundred, eight million million. $8 OK. So, you know, in today's money, she'd be a millionaire. But at the time, no, she was not a millionaire. Right.
0: Who was the first black female millionaire? I won't say it was Oprah, but that's not accurate. Uh,
1: it, it wasn't even black. It was the first female self-made millionaire. Oh, shit. I'm going to... Google that one too. Thank God for Google. We're just throwing facts at you left and right. Right? I like I, I don't know. You probably they probably listen to her podcast and are like, why do they Google so st-? it's funny because she is the first person that pops up, but that's not true. As of as of April twenty nineteen, there is only two hundred and forty four women listed for billionaires. Huh. Holy shit. Seems like a lot. Yeah, that actually seems like just a lot. for
0: billionaires in general. That's a fuck ton
1: of money. So Madam C. J. Walker Which we know isn't true. And then the other one is Annie Malone. So maybe Annie Malone was the first one.
0: Can I just say, so I googled them, CJ Walker, while you were telling the story so I could see your picture. Mm -hmm. And Google knows what I'm up to because I typed in first female and it
1: auto like filled to millionaire. millionaire. (laughs) So even, okay, let's say it was Annie Malone because that's the second name that comes up. She was also a black woman. Damn. Uh, she and it says she was one of the first African American women to become a millionaire. So I don't know.
0: I was gonna say I think I saw her on a drunk history episode, uh, and I've wanted to cover her because her story is really cool. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. Okay. Anyways, back to what I was saying. So according to Walker's obituary in the New York Times, quote: She said herself two years ago in 1917 that she was not yet a millionaire, but hoped to be sometime. End quote, which she never got there, which is sad. Well, it's because she was donating all her money, guys. Right, she exactly, was there. Like... Shut up. <laughs> and that, well, I wonder if they, maybe they mean like if you combined like what she actually owned plus like her company's network. Assets. Worth, like and... maybe then, especially if you count like that house she built. So maybe that's how they got to Millionaire. Maybe. We'll just say. We'll just say, sure. She can be the first one. She's a badass, regardless. Um, Sarah's personal papers are preserved at the Indian. Indiana. I want. I keep wanting to say Indianapolis because I said it so much before. The Indiana Historical Society in Indianapolis. Her legacy also continues through two properties that are listed on the National Register of Historic Places. First, Villa Loaro, obviously, because you know it's her fucking house. (laughs) Um, that was so that was sold following her daughter's death to a fraternal organization called the Companions of the Forests in America. So she was saving the environment. Um, in 1932.
0: <laughs> okay. So her daughter
1: was around for a while. Actually, that means the company was around even longer after her daughter. That's kind of cool. I was going to say, like... So the house was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1979, and the National Trust for Historic Preservation has designated the privately owned property a national treasure. Damn straight, it's a Um, national treasure. She's a national treasure. The second of the two properties is Indianapolis's Walker Manufacturing Company Headquarter Building, which they have turned into and renamed the Madam Walker Theater Center. It opened in December 1927 and included the company's offices and factory, as well as a theater, a beauty school, a hair salon, and a barber shop. It also included a restaurant, drugstore, and a ballroom for the community. So it was was kind of like a giant mall, probably for black people, which is great. That also had a factory in it Um, and offices. That one got listed on the National Registry for Historic Places in 1980. Okay. In 2006, playwright and director Regina Taylor wrote The Dreams of Sarah Breedlove, recounting the history of Walker's struggles and success. On March 4th, 2016, Sundial Brands, This is the thing about Sephora. I told you I'd get into it. Okay. Sundial Brands, a skincare and hair care company, launched a collaboration with Sephora in honor of of Sarah's legacy titled Madam CJ Walker Beauty Culture, which is comprised. I hope it is. Yeah, right. She's got a beauty cult. Um, Which is comprised of four collections and focused on the use of natural ingredients to care for different types of hair. I like that. Yes. Uh, in 1998, the United Postal Service also issued a stamp for our stamp collectors out there. Whoa! It's part of that Black Heritage series I mentioned with Shirley Chisholm. So she's yeah. part of that, too. So she did get her own stamp. And yeah, that's Madam C.J. Walker. That and was- a little side note into Annie Malone, which we didn't actually talk about what she did. So you will <laughs> you will have to cover her later. Yeah. So yeah. You know, here's
0: the thing. I knew Madam C.J. Walker's name, and I knew her as like an influential
1: black she did woman. a lot
0: though like, i didn't know I think her, story, I knew about though. her
1: i think i knew about her hair care products but i didn't realize she did all that other philanthropy and stuff
0: yeah that is incredible yeah holy shit yeah. by the way since we have been googling so much Sorry. uh hashtag google sponsor us i noticed that the google doodle for today february 15th susan b anthony's 200th oh, birthday that's appropriate holy shit that's crazy, and like, granted, Susan B. Anthony had her issues. Like, I yeah, she didn't think black women were equal. Uh, I don't like think
1: she, I've covered this woman, but I feel like I have to. Su- Susan no, B. Anthony. No, <laughs> um, when I when I went tried to go to Google because you know how computers autofill when you're using Chrome. So yeah. I went to Google, and it autofilled to an article that I must have Googled at some point called "The Forgotten Female Sniper Who Killed Seventy Five Nazis." Oh, not Ludmila. No, it's Svetlana. No, that's who wrote the book.
0: Uh, I don't know who it's on. I was going to say Ludmila actually killed like at least 100. If you want to learn more about her, find her episode. No, uh, yeah, it is. It's Svetlana.
1: I can't tell if that's the person they're talking about or if that's the article or the author. Author. Oh, here it is. It's Russian. (laughs) Or Ukrainian. Or Ukrainian, yeah. Clavidia Gregorivana Grigori, Krakahina. We'll have to cover her in a So I just think it's interesting because I don't remember ever Googling this article, but I uh, clearly you can tell what I do because I try to get to Google and this is what comes up. Can I just say, like, Google, I get you're watching
0: us all the time and you know more about ourselves than we probably know. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it comes in handy. Other times... I need my space. <laughs> right, I know. I just think it's funny because I was trying to,
1: you know, I just wanted to see the Google Doodle. Man, this was this was a cool episode. This was, was awesome. I uh, I'm glad you brought oh, us that's a cool one because it's like her, like it's almost her doing like the the Rosie the, the Rosie Riveter. Riveter pose on like a brick wall, and then everyone like looking. It's cool. And they're going and it's to vote cool. because yeah. yeah, because
0: she was she was a suffragist and a woman's rights advocate.
1: It's funny because it's her 200. Br- 200th birthday but all the balloons say 100 because it's the 100th year anniversary of voting so well yeah
0: she I don't think she ever got to see the 19th amendment she was
1: about 100 years uh dead dead (laughs) I mean I guess I don't know when she died she could have been over 100 years dead highly she was it. it was 100 years past her 100th birthday oh my god
0: but yeah, no, this was uh this was a good episode. I'm glad you brought us up on a, a higher note because mine was just bummers uh, all yeah. the way
1: down. Well, and like I said, I kinda did the same thing as you where I didn't like civil rights, great. It's wonderful, we should talk about it. But I didn't want our podcast to be like all political all the time. So I kinda tried right. to do the same thing as you and you know, like I covered Shirley Chisholm, and then I did, you know, um Madam CJ Madam J. Walker. <laughs> I was trying to think of the other person I did, but my weeks blur together and then I just yeah. kinda go <laughs> Especially when I end up working on the blog because I've been trying to like blog ahead and then my head gets like super confused about who I covered when. Well, and the other thing is that black
0: history is so much more than fighting oppression. Exactly. And it's so much more than the civil rights movement in the sixties. It's a rich tapestry full of amazing figures who all deserve a spotlight. Oh, one hundred percent. So Kelly what are you thankful for yeah, this I need,
1: week? I really need to start writing this down. Yeah. Um, Do you want me to go first? No, I can go first. Okay. Um, I am thankful for... So this has happened since the last time we recorded. Technically, it didn't happen this week. It happened last Friday. So it was a week ago. Um, but I'm thankful for my coworkers because randomly on Friday, both the room I now sit in at work because I've gone back to work, only has two other people in it. So there's only three of us. But other people that work from home come in throughout the week. But on Friday, it was just the three of us. And both other people in my room brought me chocolate that day for no reason. They were just like, it's Friday. Let's, you know, like, let's just have a feel good day. And I feel bad because I haven't bought them chocolate yet. But I'm going to do it on Monday because one of them was on vacation. But yeah, like I was just like, oh, girl camaraderie. And I'm pretty sure um, shout out Jana because I'm. She sits next to me, and I'm pretty sure she listens to my po- our podcast now because I was talking Jana. about it one day.
0: What's up, girl? We love you. <laughs> we love you so much.
1: OK. What are you thankful
0: for? You know, it's really funny because I was running through all the things that I'm thankful for because there were I know. Few, I have a lot. <laughs> like, before I left the house to come here. Aw. And they're all escaping me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, the big thing, Jared finally getting up to 100% disability because that's right? been a long tear-filled fight and it's been a fucking nightmare and now it's it's done and we can move on. I'm feeling like uh it's almost a little early to celebrate because the updated income hasn't come in. You know, right. it's like until until the check clears you're anxious about it. Um oh, um <laughs> This is this is like a really silly little thing to be thankful for. But I went to the gym this morning, and I really pushed myself to go. I didn't want to, but I was like, Emily, you need to do this. And I get there, and the parking lot is completely full. There is nowhere to park. People are parked, like, in the snow where there is no pavement. Yeah. Like... It, oh, it was total geez. anarchy. And then people were parked like a bunch of assholes because they're like, oh, I get that there are two spots across from each other. I'm going to like, park in, in the middle. fucking middle. Oh, yeah. I like just and I'm like, OK, guys, when the snow is on the ground, I get parking spots don't really exist anymore. But we can all see the lines. Come on. So i I couldn't go. So I come back home and I tell Jared, I was like. I, there's no parking spots. Like, I got in my gym clothes and I went there and I was all excited to go on the treadmill and listen to a podcast and now I can't. He's like, Well, you know, is, is there anything I can do to help? And I was kind of like, Could you drive me back to the gym and drop me off oh. and then pick me up later? He's like, yeah, of course and so I was able to get my gym time in and uh I felt really good about it because I haven't gone the past couple days it's just been right low I energy know well, and it was
1: like you know we I think it was funny because like on Thursday we didn't even discuss the possibility of a walk because it was just so fucking cold oh
0: shit that's that, right we're gonna do that like now. it didn't even
1: surprise me because I'm like it is so fucking cold outside that had you suggested it I would yeah. have been like Emily you're fucking insane. Because no. My phone had like that alert that it was like, hey, winter storm warning. You can get frostbite in like under 10 minutes if you're outside. Like yeah. exposed skin. So had you asked, I would have been like, you're insane. Or we're going to the mall and walking around. <laughs> I actually had a
0: meeting up in the cities on Thursday. So I didn't get so back okay. home until 5. And I was I was so tired and sick feeling for being in a car that long. Because it's like an hour and a half right. there. Hour and a half there. Like, fuck me. Um, but... Yeah, we're actually bouncing back. I think it's like it's almost thirties.
1: Like s- it's the thirties today. I'm yeah, so excited. From
0: negative eleven that we've had the past couple days, it was
1: negative eighteen when I got in my car yesterday yeah, morning. It was super insane. fucked. Super fucked, guys. We live in a frozen hellscape. But anyway, I'm gonna. I still have to post that thing on our Facebook about Minnesotans going to Target in the winter. Yes. Oh, I love that post. So I look for that because it's funny. And it's and I'm 100% true. 100% true. Absolutely. We just leave people by the wayside if they fall.
0: Hey, you know what? Minnesota we'll re- doesn't tolerate we'll recover the week. They <laughs> will
1: recover their bodies come spring. Yes.
0: But anyway, thank you so much for listening to another ep- episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh Please like us on Facebook, Twitter instagram we have a patreon guys you can donate for as little as one dollar a month and we, yeah, we have actually... some note we have some
1: new videos coming yeah. out we have a big announcement that's going to be on patreon first yes um
0: we're so getting it done so we're, 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 we're moving it will
1: everyone else will eventually get to know but if you want to know first go to our patreon you know um, there's also some other incentives like, uh, wine glasses, which I'll get a picture up of those. Cause maybe that'll be a bigger incentive once you can actually see what it looks like. Yep. Um, you know, if we get enough Patreons, maybe we'll make like a herstory headcanon shirt or something. Cause that yes. would be pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, little as $1, you know, let us know that you're out there and you like what you hear. You know, the, we, we're always trying to improve and any, you know, any Patreon donations are going to go right back into this show whether it's for yeah. wine or better equipment or you know t- taking you know a merch her- merch or you know like we've talked about taking a herstory tour and then you know that would probably be a patreon thing where we yep. do we do videos at you know his historical landmarkers oh, i love that but yeah we also have a twitter which is wah underscore pod i i Website which I have been working on updating, so please go visit it, and that's just whiningabouthistory. And our email, where we'd love to hear from you, at <laughs> is whiningabouthistory at gmail.
0: Be like Veronica, who sent us a very lovely email, and it that made, made me, our like days. that made that
1: made like probably my month, yeah. Like, I'm still right. We love that you, high. Veronica. I know. I went back and reread it on one of my like shitty days and Aww. I was like, Somebody loves us. Yeah. Veronica's the sweetest. You lady, know, and shout out her. to Kenny for wanting to take us on a date for Valentine's Day. Oh yeah. <laughs> they they asked they asked uh what podcaster would you take on a date, and he said Kelly and Emily Whining about H-Pod. her history and I yep. was like, I accept. Seriously. So go listen to Earfloss because he's a doll.
0: Yeah, Earfloss is really good. We were on the Billy Holiday episode, which was a ton yeah, of fun. Yeah, listen to, to that one first.
1: Yeah, and no. then listen to the rest. We want our episode to be his most listened to ones. So and it's pretty good. Like yes. I actually like legit. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Also, rate and review us five stars wherever you listen. It's super helpful, especially Apple Podcasts because that's just how it works. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Water that
1: shrub. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to mix it up. (laughs) Water that shrub. Bye.